This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today is not our pastor of education, Sam Kastensmith, because I'm not really here either. I'm on vacation as my family gathers out of town for the wedding of our eldest child. We are all thrilled to watch our son get married. We love his fiance, who's already become a part of this family, and I hope this happy news makes you smile as well. Sam and I talked about what to do during our break. I'm away for two weeks, and the church is closed between Christmas and New Year's, so we needed three weeks of coverage. I suggested that I look for some episodes of the radio show I produced for the church, Hope with Tom Hendricks, especially if I could find an Advent series. And so, I did. We're going to step into the Wayback Machine here for a series of messages called God Gave that were delivered at Rio in 2010. There were actually four messages in the series, three preached by our senior pastor Tom Hendricks and one delivered by another pastor on staff, and I've decided just to use the three preached by Tom. So that's what you'll be hearing this week on Out of Water. I've left in the production elements of the radio show, so you'll hear it just as it was broadcast. I hope you enjoy that aspect of it. I'll be back to say goodbye at the end. Sam and I will return after this three-week break right at the start of the new year with more fresh episodes of Out of Water, and I can't wait to be back at it. But in the meantime, I'm going to celebrate this joyous occasion with my family. Without further ado, here is an episode of Hope with Tom Hendricks. Who didn't just roll into town three dudes on three camels. Magi are regal. Magi are royal. They were men who were well familiar with all the glory that this world has to offer and yet who in faith were looking for a greater glory, a different star for the star and the glory of Jesus. This is Hope with Tom Hendricks. Welcome, friends, to another broadcast of Hope, the radio ministry of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Pastor Tom Hendricks. We're delighted that you've tuned in today. We trust the study of God's Word through this radio ministry is a blessing to you, and you'll make an appointment to gather with us every week at this time. If you enjoy these messages, please tell a friend about us and encourage them to listen also. We've come to the conclusion of our Advent series, which means Christmas has arrived. On behalf of the pastors and staff at Rio Vista Community Church, let me say we hope your Christmas was a blessed one. This final message in the series brings us the story of the Magi, a very unusual group of men who traveled a very long way to seek out the Christ child. Why they came and what they did when they arrived have a lot to teach us about the gift and the cost of Christmas. It's our hope that in this final message, you will hear once again how Christmas is a time when God calls us to meet the genuine needs of genuinely needy people. 
And like our Magi friends, you may be led by the glory of God to the feet of the King, where all of us can surrender our little human kingdoms to him and be made a part of his great, glorious, and everlasting kingdom. God can lead someone who is far, far off all the way to himself, if they will just follow his glory, like the Magi did. Today's message will encourage you to begin your own journey, to write your own story, to follow your own star. Let's join Tom now for part four of God Gave, a look at the gift and the cost of Christmas. Here's Tom. I watched a video presentation that one of you guys sent me by a guy who has kind of made it his life's mission, I think, to figure out exactly what it is that the Magi, the wise men of old, saw in the sky when they were way off in Babylon, and that's his theory, and I agree with that theory, and then followed all the way from Babylon six or seven hundred miles, initially to Jerusalem, but then ultimately to Bethlehem and to the feet of Christ. What was it? I mean, was it actually a star? Was it a planet? What exactly is this thing that they saw that was so magnificent that they saddled up the camels, man, and took off? When you read about this star, it does not behave in any way, shape, or form like any kind of a celestial body, be that an actual star, be that a planet. It doesn't behave like that at all. Think about it with me for a minute. I mean, let's assume for a second that these guys are in Babylon. I'm almost positive they were. They're looking up into the sky. They see this star, quote-unquote, don't they? They saddle up the camels. They follow the star six or seven hundred miles into the nation of Israel. And apparently, at some point on the way, when they're getting real close, the star disappears. They get into Jerusalem. They start asking around in the streets, where is the one born king of the Jews? And here's how we know, because we have seen his star. You know the star, right? No, actually, I don't. What star? Oh, how about you? Have you you seen the star? No? Anybody even heard of the star? No one. How did that happen? How can that be? I wouldn't buy that today, and we can't even see the stars. I mean, we don't follow the stars today, do we? And that day, they followed the stars everywhere they went, literally. I mean, they navigated by the stars. You have GPS, they have the stars. Those people slept out under the stars and not just on those few rare occasions when they went camping. It's a hot, arid place. They have no air conditioning. They would sleep most nights on the roofs of their homes, very customary. And what was their view each night as they laid down on their back and looked up at the sky with no light pollution and no smog? But they didn't see the star, right? Not only that, the first century was full of people who were kind of superstitious about the stars. I mean, they really believed that the fates, that the risings and the fallings of kings and empires were forecasted in the stars. And so it wasn't like there was this odd group of people over in Babylon, and they're known of as the Magi, and they're the only people who are looking for strange occurrences in the sky. Everybody's looking. And lots of people made that their life's study. So how is it then that these guys follow this star or whatever it was all the way into the land of Israel? They go up into Jerusalem and they start talking to people in the street and nobody knows what they're talking about. No one. Doesn't make any sense. And of course it disappeared. That doesn't make any sense. And then, as you'll see, it reappears. And get this, it went on before them. That's a direct quote. What does that sound like to you? You know, when I started thinking about that, it went on before, like the star is moving, 
and they're following it. Okay? That sounds like the Old Testament to me. That sounds like the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament, which led the Israelites around in the wilderness as a pillar of fire by night. Now, was it an actual pillar of fire? I just think that's the way they described it. It's the way it looked, kind of like I think about the star, the glory of God. So they follow the star, quote-unquote, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Do you know how far that is? It's five miles. How do you follow an actual star in the sky five miles? Go try that tonight. Take your phone with you. And it doesn't just take them to the town of Bethlehem. No, no, no. It takes them to a neighborhood in the town of Bethlehem, but that's not even specific enough, is it? They follow this star all the way to the house in which Jesus is residing. It says it stood above it. How does a star stand above a house? Go out into your backyard tonight if it's clear and look up and try to figure out which star is standing above your house that isn't also above your neighbor's. So... Was it a star? I don't think so. And if you'll forgive me for a second, I don't honestly care. I don't think it matters at all. I really don't. I think sometimes we spend our time in life, particularly we believers, kind of answering questions that don't matter. I think what matters about the star of Bethlehem is that it teaches us that God comes to people who are far, far, far away from the Lord Jesus. And through some manifestation of His glory, He doesn't just bring them most of the way to Christ. He stands above the spot where the Lord is. He brings you to the feet of the King Himself. The story of the Magi is found in Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Where Matthew says this, he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, so there it is, it's game on, he's been born, okay? In the days of Herod the king, who as we will see, was a delusional madman. That's important. Matthew then says, Behold! Which simply means, look! He wants you to see something. And what he wants you to see are magi. He says, look, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. And with that statement, because he doesn't give us any explanation about Magi, he's sort of assuming that we know what the Magi are. Kind of we bring to it an understanding and we're sort of impressed. You know, we get the point. And I think, at least in part, we do sort of get the point. I mean, you know, we have nativity sets. We know what the Magi look like. We've been to the Christmas pageant or we've been in Christmas play. Some of you here today have been a Magi, haven't you? Magi are regal. Magi are royal. And you got to stop at this point in the story because I have to do this every time and say, okay, were there really three? I have absolutely no idea whether there were really three or not. I mean, there are three gifts, so we go with three. Were they kings? That's actually a good question. I think there's some biblical warrant to say that, yeah, maybe they were kings, but, you know, I've never met them. We haven't had lunch. They were not part of the video presentation that I watched. So I don't know that for sure, but here's what I do know. That even if they weren't kings, they lived like kings. These were very wealthy, very powerful, very, very influential, highly educated men who didn't just roll into town three dudes on three camels. No, they came with a caravan of people, people who guarded them all along this treacherous trip 
as they crossed foreign lands and territories where they could be attacked, bearing great treasures, great wealth. The Magi are interesting guys. They were men who were well familiar with all the glory that this world has to offer and yet who in faith were looking for a greater glory, a different star for the star and the glory of Jesus. So Matthew says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it's game on, in the days of Herod the king, and he's nuts, behold, look, magi from the east with all of their pomp and circumstance and great caravan arrive in Jerusalem. This is unusual. This causes a stir, and then they open their mouths, and it just gets worse. Because they arrive in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his glory. And I know you want to say, no, the word is star. Okay. We saw his star, his glory star in the east. And have come to worship him. But as we said earlier, nobody else has seen his star. And they don't know what king he's talking about. They, in fact, only know of one king. By the way, he bore the same title. King of the Jews, but it was given not by God, but rather by the Roman Senate. His name is Herod, and he is none too happy with the message of the Magi. Matthew says in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And this speaks of his instability, because it then says, and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Because as I've said now three times, he's a delusional madman, and he tolerates zero threat to his throne. And if you don't believe me, ask his family. He killed three of his own sons, killed his favorite wife, killed one of his mother-in-laws. He's not a kind man. And I can tell you that one born king of the Jews whose birth was at least allegedly announced in the stars, well, I think the response to that's pretty predictable, don't you? Herod sees Jesus Christ as a threat to his kingdom. And you can't rush past that in this story. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ is also a threat to my kingdom, and Jesus Christ is also a threat to your kingdom. We don't talk about that a lot, do we? I think we ought to, like the Magi, just sort of, you know, embrace that. When you are drawn by the glory of Christ, not just most of the way to Jesus, not just, hey, I got you in the territory, no, all the way to the place where he is. When you are drawn by the glory of Christ to the feet of Christ and you see the glory of the gift of Christmas in the face of Christ and the cost of Christmas in the scars of Christ, in the blood of Christ, understand this, when you receive the benefits of that life, death, burial, and resurrection, of that greatest of gifts that God gave to us on that first Christmas, you then belong to Him. It's commercial language. You're purchased. You've been bought with a price, Paul says. What's the message? You're not your own anymore. Actually, that's a quote, isn't it? But you now belong to Him. And he steps into your life and says, okay, let's collect some things up here. We're going to take your status, your reputation. We're going to take your wealth, your gifts, your resources, your abilities, this house that you own. We're going to take your family. We're going to take your relationships, your connections, all of the stuff that I've given you. Key idea. That I've given you. We're going to collect it all up. And it now belongs to me. That's a threat. Or is it? 
He comes and he takes our puny little dying kingdoms. And what does he do with them? He transforms them by enfolding them into his great, big, glorious, everlasting kingdom. He takes that which is small and he makes it large. He takes that which is dying and he breathes into it eternal life. He takes that which is passing away and transient and he makes it everlasting. He takes that he might give. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi from the east with all of their pomp and circumstance and a great big caravan arrived in Herod's Jerusalem. That's the point, saying a message that was almost certain to cause them trouble. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod's like, I'm the king of the Jews. They're like, no, 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 born king of the Jews. For we saw his glory star in the east and have come to worship him. And let's not rush past that little statement either. Have come to worship him because, again, Herod's not the only king in the story. You remember the song? These guys are kings. You're like, were they three? I don't know. Were they actually kings? I really think they were, but maybe I'm wrong. At the very least, they were kingly. And wow, what a difference. These guys left the security. They left the comfort. They left the benefits. They left the prosperity. They left everything that they had to get on a camel to take a treacherous six or seven hundred mile journey to the land of a madman to then go into the streets of the madman and proclaim the birth of a rival king whose birth was announced in the stars. Wow. They gathered up all the effort of that. They gathered up all the expense of that. They gathered up all the inconvenience of that. They gathered up all the discomfort of that. They gathered up all the time of that. You know how long this took? couple of years, all of it, the risk, and they considered it worship. They opened their arms and handed it to the Lord. Where is he, they asked, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, his glory in the east and have come to worship him. And I point that out because I think oftentimes if we're real honest, we're a whole lot more like Herod than the Magi, aren't we? We've got our arms around our stuff. And the Magi are like, no, 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 no. Wrong posture. It's arms out. Jesus is the singularly worthy one who is worthy of the sacrifice of our everything. And he is also, by the way, the only one who can take that which is little and bitty and puny and dying and make it great and big and glorious and everlasting. It's amazing what he can do with what you give him. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his glory, his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him because no one knew what he was going to do, but they all knew that he was going to do something. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Do you hear that? Because he's rightly interpreting things here. He's going, "Uh uh-oh, Messiah has been born. And he suspects that maybe there's something in the Scripture that indicated in advance where the Messiah was going to be born. That's important if you're looking to kill him. You want to know where. And sure enough, he's right. The prophet Micah. 700 years before Jesus was born, identified the location of his birth. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you 
shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. How do you think that struck his ears? So he concocts his plan. It says, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. Why? Why would he do that? Well, he knows what city, at least. And if you're going to have to kill every child in the city, you'd kind of like to know what age group you need to deal with. So he determines the child's age, and then he sends the Magi, it says, to Bethlehem, and he said to them, go and search carefully for the child. Scout out the kid for me, guys. Do my dirty work for me, and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him, you know, with my spear. After hearing the king, the Magi went their way, and the star, now catch this, which they had seen in the east, which had disappeared, reappeared. And it went on before them. So now it's moving like the pillar of fire, I I think. But, you know, I don't have this on video. Until it, meaning the star, came and stood over the place where the child was. Why? Because the glory of Jesus doesn't lead you halfway. It leads you all the way to the feet of the Lord himself. It's like Matthew kind of collects up all the language that he can put into a little phrase to say, man, these guys were really psyched. He says, they rejoiced, but how? Exceedingly. And if you didn't get that, with great joy. They're dancing in the streets, and after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, a peasant Mary, a peasant Joseph, a peasant Jesus, born in a stable. And the kings fell to the ground. On their faces is the idea. It's the oriental posture of obeisance. It's face down. It's total submission. And they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures. Now, why did they bring treasures? Because you don't come to a king without treasures. You bring to him your gifts. They presented to him gifts of what? Don't miss it. Gold and frankincense and what else? Myrrh. Very, very important. Very, very significant. And by giving him these treasures, whose needs do you think they met? Does the word peasants tip you off? You know the rest of the story. You know that as soon as this story is over, there's another story that happens where the Magi leave, and so Herod's like, "Uh uh-oh, they didn't come tell me which kid it is, so now I guess I'm going to have to go execute all the kids in Bethlehem, two years old and under. And Mary and Joseph flee, and they don't just flee from Bethlehem, they flee all the way to Egypt, not a small journey, where they live until Herod dies and then come back. How did they fund that? They presented to him gifts. They opened to him their treasures of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod the Magi, left for their own country by another way, and then they rode six or seven hundred miles by camel all the way home. I think the question isn't, you know, what's the star? I mean, what was it? Was it a star and a planet? Or was it Jupiter and Venus? And You know, I don't know. I think the question is, why in the world were they looking in the first place? And when they saw whatever it is that they saw, why in the world did they interpret it the way that they did? Rightly, by the way, interpreted it the way that they did. Why are Gentile kings way, way, way off in the east, I think, in Babylon, looking up in the sky for the stars to announce the birth of a Jewish king? 
See, that's why I do think they were in Babylon, because the Jews had been taken into exile in Babylon. Think about the stories of Daniel, for example. There were worshiping communities of Jews that existed even in this day in Babylon. And these men clearly knew the book of Isaiah. And they saw in these prophecies themselves. That's why they were looking. Listen to what Isaiah says, 750 years before Jesus is born. He says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the star, no, actually, but I bet it looked like one. He says, the glory. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will appear upon you, and nations, meaning Gentile nations. Guys like these guys will come to your light. They'll follow your star. And what? And kings. We three kings of Orient are. That's where this comes from. That's why we call them kings. And kings to the brightness of your rising. They had faith in the Messiah of Israel, and they were watching, and they were looking, and they were waiting for His great glory to break upon the skies. And when they saw it, they knew what it was. They knew what it announced. They knew that the gift of Christmas had come, and they quickly got on their donkeys, gathered up their buds, and hit the road. But they also understood the cost of Christmas. What's the rest of the song? We three kings of Orient are. What's next? Bearing gifts, we traverse afar. The gifts tell us that they knew the cost of Christmas. What are the gifts? They're gold, they're frankincense, they're myrrh. You're like, why did they bring those gifts? Well, because Isaiah told them to three verses later. Second part of verse 6, and of Isaiah 60, it says, They, meaning these men, will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. But it's incomplete. It's an incomplete list. They also brought myrrh. Yes, they did. What is myrrh? It's a burial spice. It was used to embalm people. Why in the world would you bring a gift of burial spice, of death, to an infant king whose life had just begun? You wouldn't, unless before you got to chapter 60 of Isaiah, you meditated and rightly understood Isaiah 53, where 750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah speaks directly to the cost of Christmas. When he says this, he says, surely our griefs he himself bore. Do you hear that? It's substitutionary. He's bearing the griefs of another, of who? Of his people, of them, of me, of you if you put your faith in Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried, and yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, the punishment for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourgings, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. No truer statement has been said than that. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all, to fall on him. They brought myrrh because they understood that he was a king who was born ultimately to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins 
of his people. They got it. They understood the gift. They understood the cause. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that the Magi did exactly what we've been talking about for three weeks now, and today makes four. They stood in light of the gift and cost of Christmas, and they said, okay, Lord, what gift do you want me to give? What's the cost to me that, that I can pay? And what genuine need of a needy person can I meet like the needs that you've met for me? Or to nuance it for this story, what journey of a lifetime do you want me to go on, not begrudgingly, but sincerely and as an act of worship? And this whole story really is just the story of their obedience to God's answer to that question. So the bottom line is what's my story going to be and what will yours be? Thank you, Tom. Thank you, friends, for joining us on today's broadcast. You've been listening to Hope, the radio ministry of Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Tom Hendricks. We trust that you enjoyed hearing from us. Now, we want to hear from you. It takes a large amount of work and a fair bit of expense to produce Hope with Tom Hendricks, and we want to use our available resources wisely. Send us an email, please, and let us know that you're listening and how you're listening to the show. Tell us what station you're hearing the show on or where you found it online. Our email address is hope at riovistachurch.com. That's H-O-P-E at R-I-O vistachurch.com. If the messages are ministering to you and you can help us financially, let us know that in your email and we'll respond with how you can support this radio ministry. If you live in or are visiting the greater Fort Lauderdale area, we'd love to have you gather with us on a Sunday morning for worship. For service times and directions to our church, just visit our website, riovistachurch.com. If you do visit with us, let us know you found out about the church through this broadcast, won't you please? Join us again next time as we bring you more Hope with Tom Hendricks. Hi folks, Mark Lautenschlager again. I hope you enjoyed that trek back into history. We did 153 episodes of Hope with Tom Hendricks, and I still have most of them tucked away securely on one of my hard drives. It's really a blast to go back and listen to them sometimes. If you'd like to correspond with us, our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O vistachurch.com. Sam and I would love hearing from you. You can find all the back episodes of Out of Water at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. It's also available through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We'll return with another episode of Out of Water next week, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.